focused our, our message will be focused rather on uh, a lot of what Psalm 16 says, so I encourage you to have that open as well for this afternoon's message. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 1 asks a very blank question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And that question is something strictly personal. No one else can answer that for you. It's very in your face. It either makes you very uneasy or you're full of confidence when you answer it. It either makes you shake your head skeptically or it sets you to think of your faith in the Lord. It either makes you upset or it makes you look deeply into your heart so that you can express it in a heartfelt way that your assurance is in the triune God. And it makes you truthfully and with the catechism state, I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's those two responses, really, one or the other. Well, this psalm exudes this joy and confidence in the Lord. David sets all his affection on the Lord. That confidence in the Lord gives the psalm its, its unity and its passion. There are no real major divisions in his development. He speaks confidently of his hope in, in the Lord in verses 1 to 4, and he begins to tell uh, or begins to call rather on the Lord to keep him. That shows his assurance in the Lord and in the fellowship of believers. Then in verses 5 to 8, he acknowledges that the Lord keeps his life secure in the present. And as he concludes this psalm in verses 9 to 11, he speaks about the blessing that awaits him in the future. He knows that his life is secure in what the Lord has done for him. And what he does for him now, and what he'll do for him in the future. And since this psalm expresses this confidence in the Lord, we want to consider it today under the theme, David's only comfort in life and in death conveys our only comfort. And we'll look at that with three points. First of all, the testimony of faith in the Lord alone. Secondly, the contentment of faith in the present And then thirdly, the confidence of faith in the future. So first of all, consider the testimony of his faith in the Lord alone. In verse 1, David conveys his dependence on God. He prays, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's a prayer where David requests God to watch over him with that very specific thought of preserving him. That's a very beautiful way of expressing uh, his trust in the Lord alone. And this idea, this idea of David depending on the Lord for preservation and well-being really pervades the entire psalm. God is our trust. And we can place our lives in his hand. We can trust him. Uh, the basis of this prayer is trust. 
And the Hebrew word here for trust means to seek refuge. It's uh, often used in the Psalms uh, to speak of a young birds safely going under their mother's wings. Uh, we find that, for example, in uh, Psalm 36, verse 7, where it says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So they got that picturesque language in, in the Bible. Uh, or uh, Psalm 51, or sorry, Psalm 57, verse 1, speaks this way, Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until this time of calamity passes. What a wonderful assurance that is, because there are so many things in life that, that challenge us, and we can respond in fear or in panic. Not just a terrible disease like cancer. You, know, you, hear, you, knew, you hear the news about that and it's, it's frightful. It could be a trip to the dentist or to the doctor. It could be an exam that we have to face. And there's no real stability anywhere else except in the Lord. There's no stability in flight. You can't run away. There's no stability in others. There's only one safe place. And it's in the Lord. It's found in Him. The Lord is our refuge. How quickly we can forget that when things are going well. But David looked to his preservation. He looked to the Lord. And that's the testimony that David has here. It's the Lord alone who preserves us. What a confidence that is. But you realize that this is not a confidence based on David. There's nothing that David, nothing in David that could give him that um, faith that he so expresses. This confidence is based on who the Lord is. It was David's covenant God who established him. David had this covenant relationship with God just as we do today. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something else that David's testimony of faith reveals. His, his trust was in his master. God alone was his master. For you notice how David continues to call on the Lord to preserve him. He, he uh, proceeds to address him by his covenant name. Verse 2. I will say to the Lord... That's the covenant name of God. Notice that all in capital letters there. I will say to the Lord, I have no good. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You are my Lord, my Adonai. It's, it's a confession that the covenant God is his master and owner. That's what Adonai means. God is our, our owner. And David is the servant. He's owned by his master. But he's not complaining about that. Not at all. David is expressing his soul's desire. His soul, his very inner person is so blessed that he can say, I belong to you. There's no one else I'd rather belong to. 
It's not just something I'm thankful to know. It's true. It's truth. And that is clear from the parallel thought in the rest of verse 2. I have no good apart from you. And it confirms these words of David. His, his happiness depends on the Lord. As Christians, that's exactly what we're expressing when, when we use these words of Lord's Day 1. When we answer that question, what is your only comfort in life and in death with the answer to that question, I don't belong to myself. I belong to my covenant God, my owner, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not our own masters, thankfully. We're not at the helm anymore, controlling our own destinies, because that person who claims that he, he is his own master and Lord is more of a slave than a master, than he is a master. He's his own enemy. So when we confess the words of Lord's Day 1, Neither are we saying that we're slaves to sin and to the devil. Thankfully, we're not bound to Satan and his power because claiming you are free from the, um, the church or from any belief in Jesus is really not freedom at all. Now, to many, that may seem like a loss of personal freedom when you say, Christ owns me. I am his possession his slave, his very own. But to think that way is not to understand the blessing and the comfort of this confession. Someone who feels that way doesn't see what real freedom is. He doesn't see the difference between freedom and slavery and between liberty and license. But to be at liberty in Christ is so much different than having a license to be whatever you want to be or to do whatever you want to do. In Christ, there's possession. You belong to him. You're bound to him. And he lets you live in an, in an environment of blessing. But there's death outside that environment. You're bound by sin and your eyes are blinded to the hope that can only be given in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is our refuge. He's our trust. He preserves us in a time of trouble. Like a, like a mother bird, God takes us under his wing. He's a refuge when we're facing sorrow. He's our savior who saves us from our sin. And there are so many blessings that we have in him. And as David identifies his trust in Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant name of God, and Adonai, his master, he describes one of these blessings of belonging to the Lord. In verse 3, David's delight is not only in the Lord, his delight is in God's saints. He calls them excellent ones. They are the Lord's people. They're owned by, they're owned by the Lord too. And David finds delight in them. But note that he can't say the same for the wicked. He makes that contrast in verse 4. He's strongly distinguishing himself from idolatrous people. He says, their sorrows shall be multiplied for going after another God. In fact, he won't even have any part in their blood offerings. 
Those drink offerings of blood refer to the sacrifices made with blood-stained hands. David didn't even want to talk about all the, what the, all, all the um, idolatrous nations did. He knows that their sin led to sorrow and pain. And it brings back in our mind the whole story of the fall, garden, the Garden of Eden, the sin of Adam and Eve led to sorrows and pain. It led to death. It led to emptiness. And that's the disappointment and loss that people will experience when they turn their back on the living God and serve an impotent idol. There's such emptiness apart from the gospel, but there's such hope for the saints. And that's why David so openly identified himself with the people of God. He delighted in them. He was drawn to their holiness and their nobility. He saw them as the saints, God's holy ones who belong to him. And there's still that contrast between the world and the church today. We're part of that contrast. You know, it's a blessing to be able to say that we're part of the saints. Not just your own local body here, but with the church universal. They're God's own. And we're separate from the world. They are the excellent ones in whom is all our delight. This then is David's testimony of faith in the Lord alone. He belonged to his master. Can you say the same thing? Can you today say that you belong to Jesus Christ, both body and soul? And does faith, does that faith express the same thoughts as David does here? Are you thankful to be set free from idolatry and the the sins of this life? If you can, then you too have that true comfort that is expressed here in a faith in God alone. Well, it leads us to what we see here secondly, and that's the contentment of faith in the present. David continues to express his faith in the Lord in verses 5 and 6. Now he's thinking of of him in terms of the inheritance Behind that language of these next verses is the concept of the promised land. David undoubtedly is thinking about how every family received an inheritance of uh, Canaan under Joshua. God was the giver of all this land and each family of the covenant community received his portion. As you know, as you probably remember boys and girls, the stories Uh, about Joshua and the conquest. All this land became a source for their livelihood. Their master, their covenant God, who owns the heavens and the earth, gave them part of that land. It was a blessing. But David's not just thinking here of land possession. He's seeing seeing things from his own heart. And the words... And in the words of the psalm, he's looking at the one who is the true blessing behind Israel's inheritance. In fact, as good as it was to have land from the Lord, it was far better to have the Lord himself as 
his portion and delight, as he says in verse 5. It was so much more important to see the land itself. He calls the Lord his portion of his inheritance. And God is his cup, which means that God was David's great good. And there are a number of ways that David expresses his faith of God, in God in that manner. Uh, David in verse 5 says that you maintain my chosen portion, my, my lot. Uh, the lot was something that was cast to uh, divide the property. And so David goes on in verse 6 to say that the lines, referring to the boundary lines, have fallen in pleasant places. God had given him a good inheritance. And again, we have to adjust our thinking here a little bit. David is not just thinking about the land and all of this, but he's talking about the Lord because the Lord gave himself to David. And David had received the Lord as God's blessings. He received the Lord and God's blessings. David is able to speak of the pleasant places as well as a fully satisfying heritage. God was maintaining his lot. And it's like David is is making a spiritual lesson here out of the land of Canaan. We might say he's spiritualizing God's inheritance. He's saying that God is the one who has given him everything because God is everything. There's nothing more important than God in his life. The Lord is his passion. It's not enough for David to say, you know, I own this piece of property. It's my inheritance. No, he says, God is my inheritance. I trust in him. But he also belongs to me. And isn't that the thinking behind Lord's Day 1 as well? I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's my inheritance. He has bought me with his precious blood and his blood has fully paid for all my sin. It's not just enough to say that I have been delivered from death. It's much more than that. We're saying we're we're Christ's. He's our master and we are his. And David says more about this, having, having considered what it means to be a recipient of God's covenant blessings and what, that uh, God is his portion. David says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I will acknowledge who, this, who the Lord is and will praise him with thanksgiving. And he promises that he will continue to set the Lord before him. The Lord had given him counsel and his heart responds to this counsel in the night seasons. And as David sets the Lord continually before him, he expresses that contentment of his faith in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. That was David's consolation. He could say that he would not be moved because God was at his right hand. God was with him. God would maintain him. And David was content in the Lord. His heart could rest in the night seasons when he thought about what it meant to be one of God's children. 
that's, all, that's, that's also the contentment that Lord's Day 1 gives us. We're encouraged in our faith in the Lord to find our encouragement in Him. It provides comfort to us now. The Catechism expresses that this is our comfort now. This is true in terms of the comfort that is offered in times of adversity. We might think that the Catechism is speaking here of a, you know, a sedative drug, like a, a, a comfortable rest in the, in the hospital, but comfort is not a spiritual painkiller, like a drug that takes away all of our troubles in life. Comfort is a blessing that we can have in our pain and in our sorrows right now. Ursinus in his commentary on Lord's Day 1 says, Comfort is a consideration of the heart whereby we place over against a present evil a present good which relieves the pain of the present evil and makes it more bearable. And what we mean, what he means is that true comfort is given in our hearts so that our misery in this life is put side by side with God's grace so that when we consider God's grace in our lives, in our grief, our grief rather is soothed. We put comfort next to grief, sorrow in any adversity we might face, and, and grief is tempered. Our consolation is not a pill that takes away the pain, but it's a true balm and a comfort in whatever you face. And so we, like David, can be encouraged. We can be encouraged today. And and what we're having to deal with right now at this moment, we can be encouraged in the night seasons. We can be encouraged into the week and whatever happens, we calmly face the here and now with the assurance that the Lord is always with us. For the Father watches over us in such a way that not even a hair can fall from our heads apart from his will. apart from the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work for the good of my salvation. All things. So David is content in the Lord. But as he blesses the Lord in the night seasons, he's not only thinking here of the present, of course. Brings us to our third point. The The confidence of his faith for the future. David concludes in in, uh, verses 9 and 10, and note how the the verb change uh, tenses here, uh, the verb verb tense changes, pardon me. He's not talking in the present anymore. He's he's speaking of the future. Uh, Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's confidence. That's confidence that can even stare death in the face and feel secure. His flesh will always be at ease and secure. The Lord will not give him over to the grave. 
to the place of the dead, Sheol. His soul is not going to sink into the pit because he's in perfect fellowship with God. He knows that he belongs to him, body and soul. And so that no matter what happens to him, in life or in death, he belonged to the Lord. And it's the same for us. We have a comfort that belongs to us in this life, but also in death. Also when we leave this world, we belong to God. How can you have that kind of comfort? How did David have that kind of comfort? Well, David could have this comfort and we have this comfort as well because of the prophecy that David's making here, you see. The language of verse 10 is too strong to speak of of David's own future. This isn't just speaking about David himself. It's speaking about a a super David, if we could say that. A super David, a superhero. This prediction, this is a prediction of what David's own son would do. And the most striking and most perplexing term in this psalm is the term your holy one, your, your, your faithful one. That term is from uh, the word chesed in Hebrew, which you may have heard before. I'm, I'm guessing you probably have. God's covenant love and faithfulness. This verse is very significant because when God made a covenant with David, this is the word that the Lord used in his faithfulness, in his chesed to David. He would not leave David's house, nor from, a, nor from him, or from him rather, would a son come who was promised. You remember that promised congregation. God said that David would, um, David would have a son who would reign on his throne forever. That bond between David and his son would continue. And that promise was that David's throne would last forever because of his ruling son, the Messiah. That's the promise that David was thinking about when he wrote verse 10. He could rejoice that this faithful one, this holy one, would be the one who would bless him and others who had the same faith as David. That's that's exactly how we understand this verse. We understand it in the light of God's story of redemption. Jesus conquered death, but he didn't just conquer death through the cross. No, he fulfilled scripture. Because both the apostles Peter and um, Paul quote Psalm 16 in the book of Acts when they describe to the Jews how, how Jesus rose from the dead. His body did not see corruption. You remember what uh, Peter said on that day of Pentecost. Peter spoke of David's grave still being there. David's David's bones were still nearby. David's body was still waiting for the resurrection, but not the Lord's body. Jesus' grave was empty. Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, Peter said Jesus' body did not even see decay. He conquered the grave. And he's gone into heaven and he's given us the fullness of life, a life that David was already celebrating when he wrote Psalm 16. 
And it's a life that we celebrate today in fulfillment of this prophecy. That's why Christians can say that we belong to the Lord, body and soul, in life and in death. And it speaks of the hope of our own resurrection. That's our hope. Our comfort is in David's son, who also guarantees our own resurrection. And so it's no wonder David concludes in verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the hope of eternal life. We have this eternal life now. It's already implanted in us in seed form. And for whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life, Jesus said. It will be given to us in the future, as as the catechism says, because I belong to him, Christ by his spirit assures me of eternal life. And in that sense, we can say that David did find his comfort in life and in death in the Lord. He he trusted with all his heart. For in you, O Lord, I put my trust. He found comfort in the Lord in in this life, in his life. And the Lord was his master. The Lord was his portion, as he says. And he also found comfort as he thought about the future, especially the future of his kingdom, but the future of his Son, our Savior, who powerfully fulfilled these words when he died on the cross and when he rose from the grave. David had that trust. Can you say the same today that God is your trust? Is he your comfort? The story is told of a retired minister by the time that he visited Heidelberg, Germany, the city where our catechism was originally written. And in that old European city, there stands an old Gothic church. And the church itself was already there. It's so old it was already there when the catechism was written. But close to that ancient church, there's a small toy uh, shop which has the name Trost in German. Trost in German is, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, it is the word for comfort. And it's what's used actually in Lord's Day 1 in the original original German. As children pass by that tall church with their parents' hands and closed around theirs, they might come to that little toy shop, Trost, which means the comfort of toys. And they look in the window, the fire engines, the toys that are there, the trains, the dolls, the stuffed animals, all the toys that delight the hearts of children. But would these parents and their children be willing to go to Christ's church across the road, if it's a faithful church, that is, and hear about truth roast? And if they did enter that old church building in Heidelberg, would the pastor still be faithfully proclaiming the only trost, 
only trust in life and in death. Well, that temptation to pursue the toys of this world, not just the trust of little toy animals. Our minds and our hearts can be so quickly attracted to the things of this life, whether it's our technology, comfort food, or wanting the very, very best of this life. But there's no substitute for the kind of trust that our catechism is describing for us today. What is your only trust? Comfort in life and in death. That's a very personal question. It doesn't matter what the situation is, that the person is well-to-do and blessed with much wealth, or if this is asked by the bedside of someone whose foot is almost in the grave. Where do you look for true comfort? What does that true comfort look like? And what benefit does this comfort have in everyday life? That's what the Heidelberg Catechism asks, and it provides the answer. And it doesn't just base that on an empty promise. It's found repeatedly in the Bible. It's in the comfort of knowing that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we all be able to confess those same words today. Amen.